There was a way that the first Christians referred to those from among them who died that was very specific and particular to them, something that they likely picked up from Jesus himself. And we get a very notable example of it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Where speaking of those who had passed away, the Apostle Paul said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, some modern thought for thought translations will just go ahead and render that verse as saying, Grieve about those who've died to just make it perfectly clear what's meant there. But I think there's something in that word choice of asleep that the Spirit was intending to get across through these apostles as they reached for that word to describe it, because it says a lot about how the earliest followers of Jesus thought of our dying. What happens when our bodies draw their last breath? You see, in modern Christianity, we've come to just accept a very truncated version of things, where if you are a Christian, you die, and then you go to heaven to be with the Lord. And while there are bits and pieces of Scripture to suggest that, the actual picture that the Bible paints is much more complex, much more majestic, much more beautiful than that. And there's a key part in the middle between our dying and our going to heaven that that completely overlooks. It's what theologian N.T. Wright refers to with a rather funny turn of phrase is life after life after death. You see, so often we accept a view of dying and then having an afterlife, which we usually perceive as being us being in heaven, maybe floating on a cloud, playing a harp or something. But that's not the biblical picture at all. In fact, when Paul describes those who've passed as being asleep, that says a lot about the expectation for what's to come, because if we, upon dying, are really asleep, then it stands to reason that there will come a time when we wake up. Just listen to what Jesus himself says in the Gospel according to John, chapter 5, beginning with verse 18, where after one of Jesus' healings on the Sabbath, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father do. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You see, that true Christian hope, that part that's missing when we talk about dying and going to heaven, that life after life after death is resurrection. And that is the Christian hope. It's something that Jesus himself embodied, whether in literally raising people from the dead as he went about his ministry of casting out demons and healing those that were ill and proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God, whether raising us spiritually as he would call and speak life to us as we were dead in our sins and allow us to live as part of God's kingdom, starting now, knowing that that life will become eternal life. But how that life becomes eternal is pivotal. Because Jesus will bring about a resurrection of the dead. And if we belong to him, then we will rise from the dead to begin a new life with him. If we didn't belong to Jesus, then we will rise to a resurrection of judgment where we have still greater torment, still more separation from God awaiting us now and for eternity. Yet that resurrection of the just, that opportunity to hear Jesus speak and be completely changed, it is something that undergirds so much of the biblical story. In fact, as Jesus was quizzed by some of the Sadducees, a group of religious leaders that didn't believe in the resurrection. They really didn't hold any scripture after the first five books of the Bible as being authoritative. And they hit Jesus with this ridiculous question about a man who uh, died. So his brother married his wife and then he died. And then the next brother married until seven brothers had married the same woman. And then they thought they really had Jesus trapped. And they said, so in the resurrection, which they didn't believe in, whose wife will she be? And in Luke's account of that question, in chapter 20, verses 34 through 36, part of Jesus' response was to say, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is key. It is through rising from the dead that we will undertake a complete transformation in who we are, a transformation to be like the angels in terms of sharing in that divine heavenly nature, but not that we become angels. It's not like the Tom and Jerry or Looney Tunes cartoons where we float out of our bodies and are given our wings and our halo and our heart. No, we are human. We are sons of men, but we are transformed to be as the sons of God, to be like Jesus in his resurrection, to share in that glory. And some things that are just part of life here, some things that we take for granted, will change in dramatic ways. 
But because God is the one initiating the change, we know there'll be changes for the good. There'll be changes for the better. Changes that are to our benefit. Changes that we can look forward to attaining. That's how the Apostle Paul would describe it. When after teaching about this resurrection from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, a passage we'll spend more time on later, he says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. If you belong to Jesus, if you are a Christian, that is your hope. It's not just of passing into an afterlife when you die. It is a hope for life after life, after death. That after falling asleep in Jesus, one day he will wake you with a trumpet, and you will rise, and you will be transformed to start living a new, eternal life where you share in his glory, where nothing that is sinful, where nothing that is perishable or corruptible is any longer a part of you or a part of your existence. As Christians, that is our hope. That is the hope that Jesus came to bring us. And that's why the reality of the resurrection of Jesus is where our ability to understand this all begins. <music> 